Hello and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and today I finally completed all 120 shrines in Breath of the Wild. This week I'm chatting with Cameron Sladen who is the CEO at Microverse Studios. He's also a mechanism of action animation producer which he's going to explain in our chat and he is a clinical assistant professor at UIC. Now what makes this chat interesting is Cameron is in the field of medical and scientific animation, a super niche field of animation that you actually need a degree in scientific illustration to get into. In our chat, he's going to share how he got into this field, started his own company, and even how he's using AI tools to help create visuals for microscopic function animations the human eye can't even see. But first, make sure to check out the Patreon for this podcast and help me continue to make more episodes. I've included a link to that in the description of this chat, so please go check it out. And now, without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Cameron. How's it going today? Hey, Terry, going great. Hi, can, can you hear me all right? I can hear you perfectly, yeah. Um, you're at a standing treadmill desk, which you just told me that you animate on. So can you just explain? I've never heard of somebody on a treadmill animating before, which to me sounds uh, very interesting because you'd I would expect you'd need a steady hand. So maybe just tell me about that. <laughs> Sure. Uh, you know, it happened. So I started with a standing desk like 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, I have an old back injury and, you know, the sitting in a chair kind of kept my back bent in a way it was uncomfortable. So I got a standing desk and it helped a lot. Standing desks are nice because you can kind of just walk up and start working and then just like walk away. And there's this kind of uncoupling from the desk that you don't get with a chair where you have to kind of scoot in and so forth. It's, it's minor, but it's real. And then, uh, but the thing is that like, sometimes you can pull some long hours and you end up kind of getting like statue syndrome where you kind of settle into this low energy stance where you're kind of like your hips are like off kilter and so forth. And your muscles kind of seize in that, that like that stance. And so yeah, that's literally me currently. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was getting to, it was like hurting. And, um, and so uh, and like I had a fat year, so I went ahead and bought, I had been eyeballing a treadmill desk, something to kind of like keep me active while I'm, while I'm working and so forth. You know, I'm 46, so I want to kind of ride like whatever threads are left of my youth for as long as I can. Um, and then, so I got the standing, uh, the treadmill desk and I started playing around with it. Like the first, like the first week I got it, I like walked 70 miles. I just like tried to see how fast I could walk like while working. And it, it got pretty, uh, it got kind of hard to, to function. Um, it, it did yeah. decrease the, the productivity in the beginning, especially like as my eyes got used to like the bobbing of walking and tracking what's on the screen. It took about three days. Neuroplasticity is amazing, but it took about three days and I was able to like be totally fine. Um, wow. walking. But uh, yeah, I, I found that the hardest thing, like in, in 3D animation, there's a lot of like, you know, grabbing things and moving them around and grabbing very particular little spots, like the little dials, the little axes on an object, if you just want to move it along that, that axis, or little radio dots, like checking little check boxes and, and so forth, or sliders, you know, these little kind of minute movements. I mean, I, from all of my um, interface, I use a, um, a Intuos, like a, a Wacom tablet. Um, so I have like my hand is planted and I have like just the, um, the finger control over what's going on. So like, even as I'm walking, like okay. the movement of my arm does relatively little to the end. Wow. So it doesn't, so I have, wow. Okay, great. I've never heard of this and you figured it out and it works for you. And you're, uh, maybe I should give this a try myself as I sit on my, sit on my butt all day long and then try to get to the gym in the morning and then don't want to wake up for it and don't go. So <laughs> for a little while, I was like counting my work weeks and how many miles I could get. Like, I think my biggest was I had a 70 mile work week. Wow. But most of the time they would be in the 20 ish miles, 20 to 30. Oh, that's more than I walk in a whole week in a month, I guess myself. <laughs> okay. But uh, you know, tell me about the type of animation you do because it's not every day that I talk to somebody who does your type of animation. Um, tell me 
the gist of it. You know, you do 3D animation for very specific clients in a very specific niche that doesn't get a lot of attention when th people are thinking of animators. Yeah. So the type of animation that Microverse Studios produces, well, let's step back for a second and people ask, you know, what do you do for a living? We all get that question. And my answer is always the following. I am a scientist and I'm a 3D animator and I produce short animated films for biotech and pharmaceutical companies that explain how their technologies operate on a molecular and cellular level. That's like the most concise way I can say it. But in order to be able to do that, number one, you have to have uh, a deep understanding of the science surrounding these topics. So you have to know, for example, which direction DNA turns. You have to know how cells, how cell division happens, all the parts inside of a cell and what they do, where things, like what goes on inside of, you have to understand all of that science and how molecules interact. Like molecules are essentially covered with tiny magnets. And that's going to govern with how they um, how they stick to one another or don't stick to one another. So um, like a good understanding of all of that. And then you also have to understand, you know, all the features of animation. You know, you have to understand how to actually create footage. You have to understand the basic principles of aesthetics that go into producing like quality work and then video editing. Um, linear storytelling. Um, you know, I, we write all the scripts in house. So there's a certain degree of scientific or uh, science writing that needs to be able to, to happen with attention to story structure and not just talking about the beginning, middle and end, but you know, the five or seven point story structure um, that you see in like commercial fiction yeah. and in movies that applies to what we do as well. So being able to kind of synthesize all of that together um, it's, a, a, it's a big collection of of skills that kind of all have to be merged. Um, yeah, for sure. So I'm, uh, you know, I have tons of questions about this. What type of this sounds? You know, 3D animation is already very technical already. What type of person would thrive in this environment? It sounds like you know, scientist first and 3D animator second. Like somebody who is very analytical has a science degree like how would i get into this and what would what type of person would thrive in in this type of animation well um i have seen people go become molecular biologists and then do a hard write and turn into become scientific animators there's one person gail mcgill um he got his molecular biology degree and felt like a total poser when he went into scientific animation because he was like, I'm not a designer, I'm not an animator, I don't, you know, I'm not really an artist, I'm just a scientist. Whereas the fact is that he knew everything and he was developed, he developed the skills to be able to tell the story. So yeah. he's like probably the least poser of all of us. Um, and then there's Graham Johnson, who got his master's degree in medical illustration, went on to get his PhD in molecular biology, and now is kind of doing all kinds of different things in both fields. Um, and then there's like the standard person. There's like me, right? So I um, got my undergrad from University of Maryland. I got my master's degree from Augusta University. In these were uh, science-related degrees. Yeah, my undergrad degree was interdisciplinary studies. So for me, I, I'm a little bit unique because I always knew that I wanted to be a scientific uh, illustrator. I didn't think I didn't, animation didn't enter the picture in the beginning, but I knew I wanted to like create imagery about science. And I have a story kind of how I, my origin story of how that, like I made that discovery, but um, because I knew what I wanted to do, when I went into my undergrad, I made a, um, an inter interdisciplinary studies degree that mixed art and biology and made sure all of my uh, prerequisite courses for the graduate degrees, that those were already in my program. So I wouldn't have to take anything else uh, afterwards to get ready for the graduate degree. So, so it sounds like people who are really excited about science and like explaining that through animation, I guess. <laughs> very Yeah, you topic. have to love it. Like, so for example, yeah. for me, when I'm just goofing off, my news feed is all science news. Like phys.org, P-H-Y-S.org um, is like one of my major like news outlets yeah. and like new scientists and nature and science, like all those journals, just because like, you know, that that's the kind of thing that really interests me. And if you don't like science, like if if you were the type that fell asleep in biology or whatever, it's not for you. Not for you at all. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, what if I'm a 3D animator and I like being really technical about things and I'm like, maybe this is a uh, interesting career switch. 
not recommended unless you're, you know, highly science interested or have a degree or master's in something bio related? The master's is the path of least resistance. Master's degree in medical illustration or biomedical visualization. Like there's, there are four, um, four universities in the United States and one in uh, Canada that have degrees specific to scientific visualization. Uh, and those will give you the easiest route into the career. Mm. Um, it is much harder to go into scientific animation uh, or you'll have a much more um, level trajectory uh, in it if you go into the field without the advanced degree. And the reason is that uh, the end client depends on the accuracy of their right. their stuff. And the less like experience you have in the realm, there's a lot of, of trivia, really tiny things. Like I mentioned, the DNA only spins one way. It spins, like if you picture uh, uh, looking at a car that's facing you, it goes just like the driver's side um, uh, uh, seatbelt from bottom, from the driver's bottom right, or yeah, bottom right to top left. And it only goes that direction, um, except for under very specific chemical circumstances that don't happen, that, aren't, that don't happen in life. Anyway, but the point is, so when I got my first like illustration job working at Science Magazine, it was right after the genome had been cracked by Craig Ventner. And it was this huge deal. They had just released a major issue. Science Magazine is one of the two premier um, uh, uh, scientific journals in the world. There's science and there's nature. And science was founded by Benjamin Franklin. So longstanding scientific journal, really uh, hoity-toity. And they, um, it, the, the designers at the last second for the human genome issue decided to flip the, the image on the cover, but there was a big DNA going up the middle of it. So when they flipped it, the DNA was turning the wrong way. The graphic designers did not know that. And right. the end result was like, thousands of letters to the editor pouring into science magazine about how their cover was wrong. And it was a huge black eye for the group. And then I came on board and they like practically grabbed me by the shoulders and shouted that I must never get DNA wrong. And so like, that was a major thing that I always paid close attention to. And so now if I'm, if I drive by like a, a playground slide that turns the wrong way, it gives me anxiety. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But there's like trivia like that all over the place. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so you need a really solid understanding because the clients are relying on you basically to, to get their animation representation of their stuff. Right. It's not like you can just hand your story, your storyboards to like, you know, any 3d animator and be like, go for it. It's, you know, everybody's highly involved in the whole process, I guess. So what kind of clients are, uh, purchasing scientific animation, when you know you mentioned cells, molecules, and things, and I'm trying to think of applications where I would, where you know, general public me would see that type of stuff would be, you know, documentaries, explainer videos. But like, what kind of clients is your typical client? <laughs> yeah, well, the average public is probably not going to see most of our work, hmm. um, and part of it is because it's all this. There are all these alien environments that don't even necessarily make sense to to, to us. Like you might recognize like DNA, but when you see things sticking to the surface of cells and creating like weird chemical reactions, it doesn't resonate for, for most people rather. And it's not that it doesn't resonate. We make it beautiful. So like, you kind of want to stare at it, but most people are going to be like, what am I looking at? And it's not yeah. going to carry information that's useful to them. So it's not going to get into their, like their newsfeed or yeah. Yeah. whatever. I'm not scrolling Instagram being like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it does have a certain abstract art look to it, but um, most of the folks that like our clients are generally um, uh, companies that have a biotechnology of some sort, whether it's a therapy, like a, a specific drug they've developed or a technology for developing therapies. They call them platforms. Um, but something like, um, like a, a platform for, that is a method for editing DNA, for example, like a very particular method that, that they can like inject into you and edits only this one little part of your DNA, or uh, they can change cells, they can pull cells out of you, change them and then put them back into you, you know, things like that. Um, and it's specifically to be shown to investors or uh, to doctors 
to that will then or the doctors that will then be um, prescribing this therapy, or it's to show to other pharmaceuticals, hoping that they will purchase, they'll acquire them. So like all of those three groups have a fairly deep scientific background already. Like the right. investors aren't investing in biotech if they don't understand biology. So why did, okay. So, um, uh, some pharmaceutical or research or whatever develops a new type of therapy or drug or something, and they want to sell this idea that they have to people who might purchase it. Why use a video? Is it just because it makes it easier to explain if these people already have a scientific knowledge, wouldn't the, you know, results of a double placebo blind test, whatever, be enough to sell it? That's definitely part of it. Like that's that kind of like the, the scientific data backing it up is certainly very important, but understanding the principle of operation, like how, how it actually works, how all yeah. the parts fit together and interact um, is very important. And if you, there are essentially three ways to do that. Number one is a giant brick of text that you have to read through and already understand all the terms and so forth. Then the second is a diagram, which is going to be, usually it's in the form of like ovals and arrows pointing to, to things and then have like having stuff break apart. And then like with an arrow to this, like leads to cell death or something like that. Yeah. So like they're, they're not particularly um, aesthetically pleasing and uh, they usually are there to augment the text. And that's, that's what a lot of um, scientific papers look like. However, your average investor, they get a lot of pitches um, every day. And so uh, they have to be able to quickly um, make decisions and be able to, to make decisions on how to divide their time. Uh, and a video is going to take that is, is going to take the bones of a paper that would take you half an hour to read. And it's going to boil that down in 90 seconds to two and a half minutes. Yeah. And if that video is done in a way that looks gorgeous, that like is worth watching just for how pretty it is, then it's much more likely that you're going to get that investor or that uh, doctor or whoever it is to watch all the way through, get the foundational information and have it make resonate with them and make an impact because of the, the visuals as well. So it, it optimizes information absorption. So you're a key part of the sales process for these giant companies who are developing therapies and things like that, it sounds like. Yeah, so uh, we our, our work, we expect it to be a, a, a centerpiece from which uh, all the other comms come out of. Um, like it's, it's, it doesn't tell the whole story. You know, there's a lot of other data and stuff like that that's gonna go into it. Um, that, that's going to go into their, their communications. Um, and their web page is generally going to have a lot more in-depth uh, material. And they're going to have scientific papers to share and so forth. But as far as like what the, um, what the actual, uh, as far as like how they communicate their material, generally speaking, um, the animation is going to provide stills and short um, short sequences and so forth that are going to go into all of the different avenues that they communicate in. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm wondering, you know, there's not a ton of companies that might need this. What? How frequent is, is, the, is the work? I mean, you run a studio, you have employees. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, how, how are there like downtimes? Are you like overloaded with work from these places? Because this sounds like a very, very niche industry for animation specifically. So I'm just curious about this. Well, so we never have zero time uh, or almost never have zero time, right? We never, we almost never have moments where like nobody has any work. Um, in 2021, uh, biotech had a major like rush because of COVID. There was a lot of like interest in biotech, a lot of investment and so forth. And so um, we actually got really overloaded during that time. Hmm. 2022 it was much more laid back. Um, it was, we were operating um, at like sort of optimal, which is usually 20% below capacity. You want like, you want everybody, you want nobody to be overworked. Um, and so that's, that's the standard. So, I mean, we produce, what is it about like our, what we ask for from our clients is for um, 
um, five weeks to produce a given minute of animation or one minute of animation and then a couple more weeks for each additional minute. So our animators are producing something in the neighborhood of, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of animation per year. Um, and so that's, and, and then there's a total of five of us. So you're talking about between, you know, it's 50 minutes to an hour of, of actual animation footage that we produce every year. Wow. Um, and there's enough, like, it seems like there's not very many companies like that, but there's like, you have big pharma companies that are always working on releasing new drugs. And then you've got the smaller biotech companies that um, are developing these technologies and these platforms. And those folks are actually the most interesting to work with. Because if you, if, you're, if you get to, to work with them, you're gonna be dealing with like the CEOs, like the folks that invented the technology. They're super enthusiastic. And the kind of stuff that they're doing is like this groundbreaking, crazy work that is straight out of science fiction. I mean, there's like artificial DNA and microscopic robots and like um, making proteins that don't exist in nature, not just that don't, don't exist in nature, but from amino acids that don't exist in nature, like designing from the ground up life systems. Like, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's extremely yeah, that sounds that sounds really cool. I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, if how do you even visualize some of these things if they're on a microscopic level? Uh, they're not even they're groundbreaking. Nobody's ever even I don't know done it before. Like, and and illustrations one thing, but when you come to a three D environment, you know, how are you even conceptualizing some of these things <laughs> that you have to show in very simple terms? The, well, we don't actually have to show them in very simple terms. The goal is to show them in as realistic terms as possible. And so wow. we have to understand how they all kind of work together in a life environment. Like, And life happens in water. You know, the cells are bags of water and protein. Uh, and so um, we there are a lot of tool, uh, uh, resources online that allow us, give us access to um, what's called uh, crystallographic data. So like where they've mm. figured out what the atomic structure is of a given molecule. And so we can bring that into our 3D program and then animate the molecules working together and we can piece together entire molecular um, apparatuses. Like there was one, for example, that was about uh, a, um, a mechanism, a, a molecular machine that clipped DNA in a very, or that actually put DNA together in a very particular way. And I spent like three or four days looking at the actual 3D models of these proteins that had been crystallized separately but each one had a little chunk of one of the others in place on it and so i would like take the one and it would have a little chunk here of this other one and i would move the other one in until it was just the right place so i could see the overlap and then i did that with all of them because they all had these little chunks and so i, I pieced together this complex and you could see that there was this lever sticking out of it that when that lever moved in a particular way it would bring the dna together and force it together so it would snap into place hmm. and like that that felt like um it felt like reverse engineering and alien technology there was another time when i had to um animate a, a, a protein or sorry a rna translation into proteins and there's this molecule that moves along rna which is like similar to dna and it uh, puts amino acids down depending on what the letter sequence of the RNA is. And the amino acid sequence that makes the protein kind of snakes out through the ribosome and kind of and comes out of this little hole. And so I wanted to make sure that the that everything was animating properly through that little hole in the ribosome. And so I did the 3D equivalent of like crawling around inside this this. Um, this ribosome and placing little markers that I could then string together to make a spline that would I would run the, the amino acids along. But it felt like crawling around in an alien spacecraft. It was like weird and cramped and there was like an actual tunnel that led to somewhere and I got to the end and there was the RNA just like sitting there like an engine inside of a, inside of a spaceship. It was way cool. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, I can tell you're getting really excited about uh, you know, all the details, problem solving, the storytelling that's going on, you know, conceptualizing it, et cetera. It sounds, 
sounds super problem solving and really interesting to me. I don't know if this is my forte of animation specifically. What what kind of are you using like Maya or Blender or 3D Studio Max or it's it's all 3D, right? Yeah, it's all 3D. We use Cinema 4D for Cinema 4D for our animation. Yeah. And you know, I've been using Cinema 4D since around 2001. And um and so that's all we use. We use After Effects to do all of our compositing and we use um, conductor to do our cloud rendering. And for the audience members that are in 3D uh, and they maybe run a smaller studio or a home studio or they're freelancers or something like that, I strongly recommend you look into conductor. It's, mm -hmm. it's conductortech.com. But what they do is they, they basically, they, they have a plugin that interfaces with it. And um, what they specialize in is um, creating instances that will do all of your rendering for you that basically becomes a an ad ad hoc farm a farm a render farm that just appears when you need it uh, and then downloads all of your stuff to your computer um, as though you had rendered it locally but you only pay for the computational time that you're using and so for us um, you know I used to have like 20 computers back here in the corner. Um, and, you know, in a little freestanding air conditioner. Uh, and even so, it's still, I couldn't get it below like 85 when everything. Um, and even with that, with all those computers there, there was still like an upper limit to how fast I could operate. But with Conductor, like you, everything takes an hour, you know, like it, it, to turn on the computer, the virtual computer, and to upload everything to it, to, for it to render a single frame to turn off and download the thing. The whole, that whole process pretty much always takes an hour. So if you can render whatever you're doing locally in less time, then you do that. Hmm. But if you're going to render, like a lot of times I'll render like sequences that might have like 15 or 20 minute frames. Like it takes a long time to render these frames because we're putting so much like, you know, cool stuff into it. And on a local farm, there's no way like we have a lot of animation that we have to get through. We can't just be like piling stuff on. There has to be optimization and corner cut but with conductor um, time and money are interchangeable. And so as long as you budget for the animation, um, as long as you budget for the rendering, um, you can have it without having that like, you know, panic at the end of the project where you have to schedule three or four days for rendering alone. And then send stuff back and like have babysit the render overnight and you know all of that stuff. Wow, yeah, that's I've never heard of this, but that definitely sounds like an option. I I with my limited 3D experience, you know, leaving the computer on overnight or like using up other computers, it's it's a nightmare. So <laughs> yesterday, just yesterday I was working on a project and I had 500 um, virtual machines running at once. That's 500 GPUs chewing away on one animation, like that kind of raw power at your fingertips, the whole thing cost me like 200 bucks. Yeah. Like, unbelievable. And, and, you know, the projects have like budgets in the tens of thousands. So a few hundred bucks is nothing for what we do. Right. Actually, for, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, most people I talk to are TV. So most people, I guess, even like going to animation school and stuff, people consider like there's kind of tiers of animation. There's uh, your commercial work, which is super lucrative because you got, I don't know, Oreo, which wants to drop 50K on 10 seconds or something. I don't, I'm just making this up. I don't even know if that makes sense. Then you got TV, which is always like overworked, overtime, lowest budget. Then you have movies where you have insane budgets, lots of time, you know, where does uh, scientific animation kind of fit in all of this? You just mentioned, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for a project. You also said you only create about, you know, half an hour of, of animation a year with a team of five. And it sounds like you're yourself also hard animating. <laughs> so where, where does, uh, you know, the super niche animation kind of fit in, in the overall industry? Well, so the, um, we started, we got to start, Hmm. Um, and so TV, the way that they, their pricing or not pricing, their, their, their cash flow, uh, is all designed to minimize the cost of the show to maximize the revenue from advertising. And then you switch to a Netflix model. You're not, you're still doing some minimizing of cost, 
um, because you've got like, you know, a fixed income from the, the subscribers, but you're trying to grow that subscriber base. So there's more incentive to do better work. Uh, and then in the pharmaceutical industry, picture it this way. Um, in the past, pharmaceutical companies would start with an understanding of a particular cellular process and a knowledge that um, a particular family of molecules might affect the uh, like a player in that process, um, like a, a protein or something like that that, that is part of that uh, cellular machinery. And so they would start with maybe a thousand molecules and then test them one by one in test tubes and so forth using the, uh, their wet lab technology, test each one for how it uh, was, how effective it was. And then when they got, when they identified the top hits, maybe five or 10, they would then start to test those in cells uh, and then they test them in mice uh, and then they test them in humans um, for safety. And at the end of all of that, that's 10 years of work and a billion dollars of investment on their part for something that had about a 50-50 chance of getting through the FDA. Hmm. If they failed, then it's a billion dollars down the drain. If they succeeded, then um, they had 10 years to make back that billion plus whatever other losses they made on the other things that failed. So it's in their best interests to, if they want to make that billion dollars in 10 years before like the generic version of their drug starts, you know, they, they need to work on that marketing campaign. They need to make sure that everybody knows how this thing works, why it's good, you know, what its advantages are, et cetera. Um, so the, uh, the willingness to pay for the advertising is inverted compared mm. to TV. Like it's worth it to them if they're going to get a return on their investment. It's worth it to them to get the highest quality work um, that does the best job of, of the mission, which is to get the word out. Um, now, of course, all that's changing with AI. And we can talk a lot about AI. It's affecting everything in the animation is, industry as well as in our, um, our clients, our bio, biotech industry. And I'm sure that there are uh, listeners to this podcast that are probably seeing it affect their end clients as well, how their end clients are doing it. But um, in the biotech industry, that 10 years that used to be spent uh, doing all this wet lab work, now they can essentially say, hey, AI, what proteins are involved with ALS? And then the AI is like these three proteins. And then so they can say, okay, hey, AI, what protein, what uh, small molecules will inhibit those three proteins from doing the thing that makes ALS happen? And then the AI, AI, the AI will say, oh, this 50, this, uh, 50 or 60 protein, uh, uh, molecules will do that. And then they can say, okay, hey, AI, of those 50, pro, uh, 50 molecules that have therapeutic effect, which ones won't kill you? And then the AI will be like, these three. And then so the biotech in that afternoon now it comes away with three hits that they can test in their wet lab and uh, actually execute that, that, um, that research work on. And then they can re like recursively uh, iterate on that. So they can refine, they can say, okay, AI, what if we change this? This is having this effect, uh, what's it gonna do? And so uh, it's massively streamlining. What used to be a 10 year process is now a five year process, probably gonna be two or three years, you know, in a few, in a few more years. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a ton of new drugs entering the market um, that are going to be higher quality. Um, they're going to do a better job of, uh, of, uh, um, of curing ailments. There are uh, illnesses that have historically been impossible to cure uh, or impossible to treat um, that uh, are now becoming accessible because we're understanding how they work. Um, and there's drugs that are going to be affecting entire biological systems that to date have like not been characterized. We don't even understand how they work, but we, we haven't understood how they work until now. Hmm. And there's gonna be more of all of this, which means that we need more medical animators to explain how this stuff works because all of these companies that are gonna be producing this, this work um, need to be able to stand up, out, like stand out in the noise. Um, and they need to be able to quickly explain how their um, works so that they can get a uh, investment or so that they can, you know, actually like uh, uh, get the, the product out the, to the public, yeah. which means this industry is definitely going to be growing. 
Okay, but maybe devil's advocate, because you just said, you know, in the past, uh, somebody was spending a billion dollars, they needed a super amazing marketing campaign, they come to you that were like, they're like, we want the highest quality 3D animation possible. But now you've got if if AI is speeding up the process, now they have lower budgets, they're coming up with more stuff. So they need still quality, high quality AI, or sorry, high quality animation. Um, but their budgets are lower, and they're doing these things faster. And also, they're using AI. So what's to stop you know, AI animation from them saying, can we explain this molecule fusing with something else in AI and generating that? And then kind of, you know, we, I guess the devil's advocate would be, it's going to be faster, cheaper, and now everybody is more accessible and doing it maybe because of AI? Yeah, I think that there will be a moment where the, um, the I, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I think there will be a moment when, like your AI video generation tools are gonna, you're gonna be able to say, make sure that it's accurate and, you know, have a T cell um, killing a cancer cell or something like that. And yeah. it'll be able to do that. And you'll be able to like verbally art direct it. You'll be able to say, make it glow, make it make it brighter, make it darker, whatever. Um, so I think that that is in the future. Uh, and it behooves interested parties to stay on top of the technology to make sure that they're able to to work with it as soon as it's available. and yeah. and you know, and that's of course a natural anxiety that we all have um, with with AI generative art um, doing amazing work in seconds that would have taken us, if we were capable of doing it, would have taken us many days. Um, and of course, you're talking to me, uh, who I, I've developed a 20-year um, skill set and knowledge base that makes gives me a superpower in able, being able to do this. And it's very possible that AI is going to be completely uh, supplanting or not supplanting but able to do what i'm doing better than i can do um there are two thoughts number one is that no matter how you cut it it's a tool that somebody has to want to use and if you're building a multi-billion dollar company you don't want to have to actually make the artwork that accompanies it you hire somebody to do that so there'll always be that person that's going to be you know handling whatever tools whether it's photoshop or ai or whatever um, and so that's like our industry is going to be uh, and adjacent industries are going to be adjusting to AI as a tool. Um, but additionally, I think that there's, um, you know, the, it, that for scientific animation, it's going to take longer for that to, to hit mm. because like, I mean, you've seen the AI hands and stuff like right, that. Right, of course. Yeah. And you're, <laughs> you're like, AI, can you please accurately generate a cell? And it can't even draw hands yet. So, I mean, <laughs> I feel like the public facing AI has only been out for a couple of months. Obviously, it's been developing for many, many years. So, you know, from what we've seen, it's not at its point yet. But who knows, in the near future, it's going to it's going to be pretty amazing and revolutionary, I think, regardless if we are on board or not. Um, OK, so, you know, in the past, uh, companies would spend a lot of money and needed very few projects and now it looks like they're going to be spending a lot of money and need a lot of projects i'm wondering you know you've mentioned a couple of times you know your studio is five people you're animating you've got 20 years experience how did you start this studio in the first place you know you have you have the background you talk about your education your animation skills etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's one thing to be like yeah i'm a freelancer to now i'm running a company and supporting a whole bunch of people yeah well, so there was kind of, it was like a, maybe a three phase process. Um, my wife, Olivia is, um, she's not an artist. Uh, she got her start doing contract, uh, writing and ratifying contract or not ratifying, modifying contracts for the government. And um, when we both quit our jobs to go for me to go to grad school, she hated it by the way. So it was totally cool for her to quit her job. Um, <laughs> but we, we, we immediately, upon my graduation, founded uh, Microverse Studios under its previous name, which was Cosmocyte, which is a mm -hmm. play on words. There's a type of cell called Astra, called an astrocyte. Um, and we were saying, we're like, even bigger than that, it's a Cosmocyte, uh, except for nobody could spell it. And so for like 12 years, I had to spell out my email address every time I gave it to anybody. We're like, oh my, my company was a nightmare. And so we changed it to Microverse Studios. Everybody can spell it. It works great. But um, in any case, at the at first, I had no idea. I didn't know 
who our clients were going to be, whether we'd like to do doctors buy this stuff. Like I didn't, I didn't understand anything about it. And so probably the first year and a half was me trying to figure out where to get any work from. Yeah. Um, luckily the area that we happened to live in had some production studios that did a documentary series for national geographic and discovery and history channel and so forth. And so we, we got TV projects with those groups and um, over the course of probably five years ish, like between 2005 and uh, 2010, we built out like uh, uh, essentially a TV production studio for, for creating these, these visuals for a TV production with the goal of eventually transitioning to pharmaceutical and biotech and so forth. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I could see that the, the way TV worked was kind of like, it was a grind and it was a little bit abusive to the talent. Like there were several other studios like ours, like in the area and you'd see, they would get a big project and you'd see them swell in numbers and all these animators would get hired on uh, and editors and so forth. And then the project would be done and everybody's unemployed again. And right. so it was this famine nonstop. And, you know, for me as like the studio owner or co-owner, um, it was stressful because, you know, I, I had to be constantly trying to find these new projects, especially as they were like, you know, running out. And the, they always, it was weird. Like every, we would get like subsequent seasons of, of a TV show, but each season it seemed like they were trying to cut out the budget, make it cheaper and cheaper. Right. Um, and, and that was kind of painful. Um, and eventually we started to finally get um, some pharmaceutical work and that and biotech work. And that so, was through email. Yeah, so, sorry, I just want to stop you right there. So, you know, you you quit she, your your wife quit her job. You went to do your master's and you're like, now we started a company and you ended up getting some work in a related field, not specifically the biopharmaceutical. How did you get that first biopharmaceutical client when you're already, you know, grinding on the other stuff? How did you manage to breach into a super niche in the industry that isn't connected to what you were currently doing? Well, we had a web page that was dedicated, like that said we were scientific animation. It was a scientific animation studio for pharma. Hmm. And even though you had never done any scientific animation for pharma we, before, we had, <laughs> we had done a little bit, and it was all through sort of contacts and friends in the industry. Gotcha. We had some work that we could say, yes, we had done something for Genzyme. Yes, we had done something for Sanity for, for this group, but they were all like really tiny projects. And yeah. one day, a guy uh, essentially emailed me and, or yeah, emailed me and we set up a call and he said, look, I will, if you pay me $400 for each of these calls, I will set up uh, introduction calls for you with um, biotech companies. Wow. And I'm, okay. You know, I you get, were just I go, like, yeah, 400 bucks. I'll set up a call. Yeah. And so, and, and you know, this guy's just about, banking on his connections. <laughs> well, it was all through email so he, he like put together an email campaign. He sent it out. He like got the lists and so forth and sent them out and it started working. We started getting like pharmaceutical work and oh, it wow. was not to completely supplant TV work, like, but it would supplement it. So we did pharmaceutical work and TV work for a while. Um, and just, just you and the, the people you had hired for a TV production, basically. Yeah. They were all contractors. Ah. So, uh, and, but I tried to keep them all higher, you know, keep them all like working so that um, so that there wasn't like a lot of downtime. Um, and then eventually, um, eventually that was exhausting enough. I realized that the pharmaceutical work that we were getting, that we were bringing in was enough, certainly enough to handle me and my production manager. Um, so or enough to, to occupy us. So I didn't really need to have this big studio space. And so we kind of packed up the studio, went completely virtual. I moved from Maryland to Florida and essentially for probably six or seven years, lived sort of the freelance life, you know? So I owned a studio and then shrunk it and became essentially like a freelancer doing pharmaceutical, just exclusively pharmaceutical work, no more TV. Wow. Um, and that paid the bills and it was nice. Um, and then when we, in 2018, we changed the company name to Microverse Studios. It was a brilliant move on our part, um, but the way that we did it was not good. Um, and this is an important like object lesson, I think for anybody trying to do this. Uh, we closed down Cosmosite 
Studio.com and opened up MicroverseStudios.com. And in doing so, lost all of the SEO from Cosmosite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 years of SEO, gone. Start from scratch. What we didn't realize was that email marketing that had been working so well, um, it had dried up. We were only getting hits from the website. And so, and it was because um, spam filters and email sorting algorithms had gotten so good that all of our uh, promotional emails were going into like a promotional folder or into spam or whatever. And so people weren't seeing it. And so we weren't getting any return on that. Um, and so like in, we, and in like, it was about in 20, mid 2019 that we really like realized what was going on. Um, and it was a moment of crisis because to date, like you can tell, I had no idea like who our clients were, how we were going to get to work or anything like that. I just had something that was like a black box that just magically worked and then it stopped working. And so at that point I had to come up with like, how am I going to salvage the situation? And I knew that it was the best thing to ever happen to the company because where I had been resting on, you know, you know, magic, essentially, magic. <laughs> and I had to learn the details of my industry. And I had enough experience to be able to look back on what I had done, who we worked with, and, and actually kind of like retroactively um, assess and figure out, okay, these are our clients. These biotechs are our clients. This specific phase of their life is, is when they use us, when they have this kind of, of drug in the pipeline, when, when like, the, the, like identifying the very specific almost credentials or the profile of who the ideal client was, and then figuring out how to reach, like who in that company was the person to talk to, and then figuring out how to talk to that person. Once we got all of that together, once we figured that out, we got more work than we could handle. Of course. And in, yeah. and in fact, that was like late 2019. You know, we put out our first job posting because I was working like 16 hour days, no weekends, just like nonstop working as hard as I possibly could. Also, at the same time, um, another feature of what we had done was to completely redouble the effort of elevating the quality of work that we were producing because when you are just sitting back on your laurels like you have just a way of doing everything and i would say that the work that i did between 2011 and 2017 let's say 2012 and 2018 about that six-year period was probably the least impressive work i've ever mm. done in my life. a lot of great projects but not very inspired so in addition to developing you know, how to get in front of the clients. I also just threw myself into like creating a methodical method, like a, just a, a technical method for injecting inspiration into every project, like just coming up with visual metaphors and uh, identifying cognitive features of, of visuals that make them impossible to look away from. Like if you look at Microverse Studios animation, if you look at the demo reel on our webpage, there, you're going to be, it's going to be all over the place as far as the style goes, but there are a few key features like of contrast and saturation and use of light and in-scene lighting um, that, uh, that are consistent across all of them, that are cognitive just tricks that uh, are designed to get you to want to look at it. Um, and I developed that, you know, I, I figured that stuff out. Um, and then, you know, we had all this extra work coming in. Luckily, we had um, cloud computing. At the time, it was uh, not Conductor. Conductor didn't exist. It was uh, Zinc by Google, which then later closed down. It's another story. Um, but in any case, luckily, there was online cloud computing that was made it so that I didn't have to constantly worry about my, you know, my extra computers uh, burning up or getting backed up. But I had to hire people. So I hired... Stephen Boyd, an amazing animator. And then I hired Molly, another amazing animator. And then I hired Amanda. And then I hired Leo. Like we just had to keep hiring and hiring and hiring and hiring because it was just more and more and more and more work that we had to do. Um, and it's very hard to find folks that have the yeah. combat of the eye and the interest, you know? 
Wow. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. What you essentially described to me was just, you know, you were figuring out your unique strategy in the market. It sounds like you finally entered the industry that you knew you wanted to be in, BioPharm. And then you took a good look at, instead of saying, okay, where, who are the clients I actually want? Who are the clients that do best with us and and our, our ideal client? And then creating a strategy to essentially attack those clients with something that's really unique and wows them. So you're doing, you know, on the technical artistic side, you're upping your quality. And on the strategic business side, you're figuring out who exactly in that company you go for, which is applicable to every single business that ex that exists. I'm wondering, you know, as a layperson, finding somebody who has the power to make a business decision at a biopharmaceutical company sounds impossible to me. Um, <laughs> how did you, if you don't mind sharing, how did you end up, uh, you know, once you identified it's, I don't know, who whoever it was in that process, how did you end up connecting with them at different companies? Is it conferences? Is it email marketing again? Is it going to people on LinkedIn? Is this, if you don't want to share this, it's also totally cool. No, I can talk about what works. Um, the most effective thing that we've done is working on our SEO. Hmm. The majority of new business that we get is from walk-ins. Um, however, uh, finding the finding the right people in the companies, I did use LinkedIn in the beginning. Like the Sales Navigator is a wonderful tool for like digging into a company and finding everybody that's in there. Um, however, um, people people kind of look at LinkedIn as being sort of like business Facebook. I don't want to be solicited on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah for I, sure. Folks are like, they, they link up with me and they're like, Hey, I want to talk to you about our, uh, our, you know, explainer video service. We can augment your, your offerings. Locked. <laughs> and I'm like, no, thanks. Thank you. But no, thank you. And you know, like, I don't want to be that guy on LinkedIn as well, but LinkedIn, what it does do is it's sort of like Instagram for business, right? Yeah. So my, clientele, biotech CEOs and chiefs of marketing and, you know, business strategists and so forth, investor relations, you know, these people that are thinking in terms of how are we going to tell our message? They're not spending time on Instagram, you know, or if they're on Facebook, they're not like looking for, um, like, they're not like there for business. Uh, whereas if they're going on LinkedIn, maybe they're, you know, just puttering around on, on LinkedIn or something like that to see what their colleagues are doing. You know, if they're linked in with me, they will likely see the kinds of stuff that we're posting. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And LinkedIn does have promoted ads and so forth. We haven't really done anything with that yet, but I'm, I'm planning on doing that. We have a, our website is under, uh, is uh, under development and we'll be launching a new one probably within the next 30 days. Uh, and I'm very excited about it. Once that happens, we'll go on a total business development, Jack, because. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of ask because I was curious because, you know, your website, you have case studies and you have a blog and, and all these other things. And, and you're very text heavy as well in, in how you explain things, which is all key indicators of, you know, executing like the SEO strategy. So I was super curious about, you know, how you ended up figuring out who to talk to and, and doing that thing, because that's that's kind of atypical of animation studios. You know, animation studio is typically here's my reel and the clients I've worked with email and that's it but it, it's a totally different selling process for what you're doing so so yeah interesting um so keep in mind that every project is a sales pitch for the next project oh of course i mean <laughs> that's that's how i consider everything i do as well <laughs> like, like you get a biotech with you're going to be interacting with three or four different people you get the ceo and you've got the cfo and and maybe the, the marketing specialist and you know, in another couple of years, they're probably going to um, round out that project and start new ones. And yeah. if you get a good impression, then they you're the known quantity. They know what they can get out of you. They know exactly like what it's going to be like. And so we've had a lot of work that just comes from diaspora. And especially mm -hmm. like we've work in big pharma. And, you know, they're constantly moving and people are moving from one company to another and back and so forth. And so they'll bring us from one company to another company. And all of a sudden now we have two groups that, that really love us. So customer service is a huge, huge, huge um, part of building that, that business base that, that keeps the repeat business coming in. 
Yeah, 100% makes sense. I'm wondering, you know, you're five people, you've been in this business for 20 years. Um, do you have plans to grow into a much larger studio or to kind of keep things where you're at with the culture and the type of projects? Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, what is what is the future of micro studio, microverse studios and Cameron Slayton and, and his wife look like? <laughs> Her name is Olivia. Olivia. <laughs> Cameron and Olivia, what's our future for this? Um, and I, 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 you know, we're still trying to figure that out. The current, I would say, five-year plan is to continue to uh, expand our footprint in the industry. Hmm. I definitely want to reach out to bigger pharma clients to whatever. Is there is there a lot of competition from other studios that do the same thing as you? There's a lot. Yes and no, right? So there are numerous scientific animation studios that have. Um, a lot of animators that love doing scientific animation, but that are that don't have the scientific backgrounds. Hmm. So they were handholding. They're also at a lower price point than us. I see. And then there's there's numerous um, agencies that uh, specialize in big pharma, and their price point is many times what ours is for the same exact quality and quantity of product. So. The where we are right now in this in the biotech emerging biotech market, um, I want to expand into the um, the the pharmaceutical. The yeah, I was going to ask. That sounds very attractive. However, that's very hard to get into. There's a whole right. apparatus that you have to to get to know. Like it's all about who you know at that point. And so I'm still working out um, just the the plan of attack for how to how to get yeah. Developing contacts. Um, need a dedicated know. business development person just to to get into yeah. the door and maintain those customer relationships, like you were mentioning. And people like that are like leprechauns. They're very hard to find. Somebody who, like, I mean, for well, they they exist, um, and I'm sure that we will eventually find them. As it is, we do get like large pharmaceutical companies occasionally. Somebody does a search, like, I need an animation for my mechanism of action. And they do an a search for us. The SEO pays off, so that's right. great. I know that with more intentional pursuit, we can get better penetration. Totally. I'm also, you know, if if the payload is so high, and there are agencies that are already working with these people, they're 100 actively trying to get these people's work. So, you know, for somebody to come through SEO from that, it sounds much more rare versus having somebody dedicated to to getting there. So, so does that mean you will be expanding the team and and growing and uh, you know trying to capture the market that you have right now and this bigger this bigger market as well, and then slowly moving that way? Yeah, my I think my vision for Microverse Studios is to get somewhere in, like it is in the next five years. I'd like to, like us to be probably in the 10 to 15 animator range that's my goal you know it's it's hard to tell 2023 is a big question mark um but uh we've made really good choices so far and we've been really responsible with our cash so i think that the the future for what we're able like how we'll be able to expand organically as long as i can get talent you yeah. know the hard part is scaling like the hard part for scaling is finding these um, ultra specialized people. I'm now a uh, uh, assistant clinical professor at the University of Illinois in Chicago. They have a biovisualization pro uh, program. I'm intentionally there to help the next generation be wow. ready to do this stuff. Like, I'm not saying that I'm like trying to cherry pick animators straight out of uh, of the school, but I want there to be. I know that my company is going to be bigger. I want there to be a pool of highly talented and excited and enthusiastic animators to be able to choose from uh, or not to choose from to be able to 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 you know pitch to you know like like we are advertising our whole marketing setup it has faces two directions number one it faces the clients because we want the clients to know that we're you know among the best there is but the other direction is to the talent we want the best talent that's out there we want them to we want rock stars to work in microverse studios yeah. and treat our animators like rock stars and we want people that we want people that want to be rock stars to reach out to us 
Totally. I love that. You're also, I love that you're investing in, you know, the, the next generation and, and, you know, trying to let, what is it, raise the tide for everybody or whatever the saying is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I guess my last question um, is, you know, throughout your career in life, you've made a lot of gutsy moves, um, which have also felt very strategic. You knew what you wanted to get into from the start, you know, scientific illustration, then animation, quit your, you and your wife both quit your jobs to take a couple of years off, find yourself, start a studio, didn't know what you were doing, found yourself in a space that wasn't exactly what you were doing. So I decided to, you know, take another gutsy move and, and pivot into something else. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what gives you what is what has given you the confidence to pursue exactly what you want uh, and take those gutsy moves throughout your life and to end up in this space? The analogy that I always use that, by the way, that's a fantastic way of describing the whole the whole journey. <laughs> well spoken. Um, the analogy I always use is that, like if you could think of life as being like a maze, like a hedge maze, uh, and, you, and you can't really see what's on the other side of the hedges and stuff like that, you're starting in the center and you're trying to work your way out. Um, if you have a point on the horizon, you know, like a bright spot, a light on the outside that's you can see above the hedges, yeah. you know the direction you want to go, then the walls are something to go over or through or under. Hmm. The in life are not something to redirect you, but something that you simply have to deal with in order to advance. Um, and when so and so for me, I have had this picture of, you know, it, for me, honestly, it began with a lifestyle, like with a, a, a picture in my head of what I like, how I wanted to live. And that picture was when I was in high school. Um, I found uh, Frank Netter's Atlas of Human Anatomy. And there's this picture, I think I actually have it here. This picture of Frank Netter, the godfather of medical medical illustration. There's this picture of him. Yeah, right here. This okay. The, All right. He's he's uh he's you know he's wearing a, some jeans, a blue shirt. He's sitting in his illustrating room, and he's he's just at his drawing table, posing for the camera. Probably a golf course behind him, just like just living the life, you know. Just yeah. out. this guy is doing what he wants to do, and that to me, that was like the lifestyle that I wanted. In addition to like loving, that was after I did realize that I loved scientific. Yeah, you um, found a, a a hero to kind of look up to. This guy figured it out, and he's doing the thing. Yeah, and so I chased that. And, you know, I, I would say that I achieved that back in like 2012, 20, 2011, when we dissolved the office and started just virtualize the office and everybody started working from home. And now I'm trying to like for my animators, we're, we're completely virtual. So all the animators are working from home and I'm trying to like give them, uh, try, I'm trying to give them like the perfect working scenario mm -hmm. as much as is possible. You know, some people prefer working in an office and I can't offer that. But yeah. I can offer them, you know, an extremely supportive environment where they get all of the training they could possibly want. They get, um, you know, we cover their membership to the Association of Medical Illustrators, their attendance at that, uh, at the Association of Medical Illustrators annual meeting, um, whatever other like things they want to do, whether they want to go to SIGGRAPH or, you know, having other, other memberships, other training, anything that they want that's for their career, we want to facilitate that. But also, you know, we work in Slack, so there's a lot of like talk and so forth. We have uh, biweekly meetings where we kind of um, socialize, um, but we don't track how much they work. We don't track like when they're, we don't really track vacation time. Like if they want a day off, just let us know, like have them let us know. I mean, right. we have a limit in the contract that is there just in case like somebody were to, uh, to abuse it or none of my team would ever do that. I hope they're listening to this. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, you know, and I've, I've told them before, like, you know, our, our philosophy is if you are overworked, you need time off, you know? Yeah. So if we, like, sometimes you get a hard project, you know, that just requires you to put in extra hours. Maybe you even have to do weekend hours. If that's the case, you definitely need time to recover. And so we do whatever we can to try to encourage our animators to make sure that they take the downtime they need to kind of heal from a hard project before they, you know, get back in. Nice. I think that's I think it's really honorable when you could take one of many other paths that don't 
uh, offer this, you know, this kind of lifestyle. Also, um, it, it sounds like you've kind of come full circle for yourself and realize that too. And you're trying to create a space for other people to kind of thrive in there too. And the last thing I wanted to say about that was I really like your hedge maze analogy because, <clears throat> you know, life, at least from my experience, life will take you in its own direction. If you don't take charge, you know, even if you see that, uh, beam on the horizon and you go towards it and you reach a wall, if you don't keep cutting those things down, you're going to end up somewhere that you didn't exactly want to be in. There's many instances in my life where I've kind of had a wake up call and been like, oh, I just got here because I was following the tide and I didn't intentionally get here. And I had to, you know, kind of start things over and cut down those hedge mazes. So I really like that. And that's a, I mean, it's very clear from the story you've told me and where you're at now. Um, you know, I'm wondering as we're wrapping up, is there anything else that you, we didn't cover that you think would be uh, good to share with those listening? I think anybody who's considering going into scientific animation, um, I encourage you to reach out. You know, I, the, the Association of Medical Illustrators has a fantastic mentorship apparatus, a whole program that has more mentors than it has mentees. So our, our industry is very open and welcoming and encouraging. And, you know, we, we lift, everybody lifts everybody else up. Um, so if you want to get into scientific animation, you want to talk about like how, how to go about doing it, what you need to know in the beginning, you know, uh, you know, maybe you, you want to pivot halfway through life. Um, we have, I have one friend, Mike Jensen, who um, he was in his 40s when he decided to go into medical uh, illustration. Up until then, he was doing uh, illustration il illustrations for uh, the Curious George book series. Huh. So you can take a hard turn to go into it. Um, and, and, you know, now he's a professor at, um, at uh, Augusta University. So, like, there... If you're, if you're interested in getting into it, if this is something that you want to do, by all means, reach out to me. Info at microverstudios.com is going to go to both me and my production manager. We will make time to talk. Nice. Uh, well, that's I think that's uh, great. And if, if, yeah, if you're listening, 100% do that. So anyways, thank you so much, Cameron, for coming on the chat. It's been an absolute pleasure picking your brain and learning about this super interesting world that I never even considered as an animator. <laughs> Well, thank you for being so thoughtful um, and uh, so patient with the technical difficulties. Oh, hey. hey, that's all right. And if you're listening and you want to, you know, reach out to Cameron or follow his work or Microverse Studios, you know, definitely uh, hit up the link that we talked about. But you can also check out their uh, their blog on their website, which is microverstudios.com or follow them on LinkedIn, which is Microverse Studios. And I'll include both those links in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Willem Mando and the graphics by Luhan Wang. I encourage you to look them up if you've enjoyed their work.